Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of a Syracuse basketball podcast. I'm your host, James Zuba, and today we're joined again by Christian de Guzman. Christian, welcome in. What up, everyone? Good to be back. Uh, today we'll be talking about the Maui Invitational, the gauntlet that Syracuse has ahead. First round matchup with Tennessee on Monday at 2.30 p.m. But before we get into that, we have to discuss and digest this Colgate matchup uh 24 point comeback win for Syracuse a lot to talk about in this one and we'll start here I think a lot of the discussion for the past few days has been kind of you know are you more encouraged or discouraged by Syracuse's win against Colgate I I think I Christian I don't know about you but I think I lean towards encouraged maybe 55 60 percent encouraged but I couldn't help but be a little discouraged by the start, uh, the lackluster defense, some of the some of the three point defense, the rebounding, that sort of stuff. We can get into that, but before we dive too far, Christian, where where do you land on this? Are you more encouraged or, or discouraged after that game? I'm definitely more in the discouraged type because it clearly seemed like the best way and the only way that Syracuse was going to get back and win that game um, against Colgate was 
the switch that Adrian Autry made in the second half, which was the full court press. And um, as effective as that was, there's no way that Syracuse is going to be able to run a full court press for all 40 minutes of the game. And even when Colgate got out of the press, the few times that Colgate got escaped the press, um, they scored and and slowed the momentum of Syracuse's call, comeback ever so slightly. So it goes to show that while it is uh, while the press is still as effective as ever for Syracuse, that's something glad that I think fans shouldn't should be glad that is not going back. I think it's still discouraging because it goes to show that the Syracuse's strengths need a very specific set of scenarios to yeah. work out and playing traditional basketball right now, unfortunately is not Syracuse's strength just based on how modern basketball flows. And the, and the deficiencies really highlighted themselves, I think in the first 24 minutes, you know, I, I think all those things are true. Like the, the toughness, resiliency, grit to come back, um, it, it kind of proves that they can play and never really be out of it. I, I believe all that to be true, but I, I couldn't help but wonder if you can't rebound against Colgate. And I know they have a couple of good big guys inside. I know Jeff Woodward is, is a big body down there. He's a veteran guy, Keegan records as well, but we're starting to see some of the, the deficiencies in the rebounding category really become problematic. If they do that against Tennessee, they're going to get blown out. They're going to get punked in that game. But let's let's stay here on this game for a minute. I think this is why Syracuse needs Benny Williams. Because if you remember from the opening tip, you know, Naheem McLeod was guarding Jeff Woodward. I think that makes sense, right? Like Jeff Woodward's not an outside threat. Naheem doesn't really have to worry about getting out on the perimeter and defending him too much. But you're going with Justin Taylor at the four spot, and he's mat- matching up against Keegan Records R- right off the tip. Colgate went into records, right? And he's kind of bodying, you know, Justin Taylor is doing the best he can. I think he guarded him really well. Like Justin Taylor was guarding him on his right hand. And he was saying, if he beats me left, he beats me left, but I'm going to overplay his right. That's the way Keegan uh, Keegan records wanted to go. But if Justin Taylor's playing the four all year and he has to guard kind of a big burly power forward, I think that's going to be a problem. And there were a few instances where, you know, he rebounds well for his position, but I don't know if you want him rebounding from the four spot. So I think that's where this team needs Benny Williams. We'll talk a little bit more about his suspension in a bit, but I, I don't know, Christian, do, do you see that? Do you see that kind of being problematic where, you know, if Chris Bell or Justin Taylor is playing the four spot, I think that kind of really shows where Syracuse is deficient in the rebounding category. It's like we're asking Jalen Brown to guard Kevin Durant. That's a, that's essentially what it is. and. Like, don't get me wrong, like that like he's he's a great player, but like this the size difference is just not there. Yeah. And and like or you like even like someone a little bit taller, like Jason Tatum, like like if Jason Tatum got the KD guard um assignment, like Tatum's an all right guard, but like trying to guard a power forward, um is just not it's a tough task. It's just not going to go well. And yeah. we, most of us know that Justin Taylor is already pushing the limit of a three guard. So to have either him or Bell be being essentially your four um, uh, is already 
problematic, especially when a team yeah. has talented size, um, a t- talented size in at least two positions. And it's no knock on Justin Taylor. He's played really well to start the season, especially in those first two games. He's a shooter. You know, he's got that big upper body. He's a big physical guard. I just don't know if that's his strength as kind of a, you know, maybe undersized foreman to try to guard somebody like that. I think he's played well enough to earn a starting position. It's just when you play Bell and Taylor who kind of do the same thing together and maybe they're not the best rebounders from that position. You know, Chris Bell, obviously career high, 25 points. He had zero rebounds in that game. That's not to take away from his his scoring ability or shooting ability, but I think they just need a little bit more rebounding out of that position. So I think that's where Benny Williams comes into the play. I, I don't know if you caught this, Christian, but after those first couple of possessions, I was like, Benny Williams is going to play a role in this game, in his first game back. And I think that's where it's hard to kind of throw him out there against Colgate and expect him to get up to speed. And that's that's not to say he shouldn't have been suspended or, or come back sooner, not at all. But I just I think it highlights the difficulty. But going back to my original point is, you know, Malik Brown's kind of been that first guy or second guy off the bench, if you want to say Quadir Copeland is maybe the first guard and, you know, Brown's kind of that first forward. It seemed like Autry just went right into like his regular rotation as opposed to, hey, we have a we have a matchup problem down low. I almost would have rather seen Naheem McLeod stay in the game and then take one of you know the forwards out and put Malik Brown back at his four position. But then again, I don't know if that solves the issue as as kind of that third center option. I don't think we know who that is. We've seen Peter Carey in that first game be the third center option, and Moni Hirma's yet to play it all this season. Um, but then on the other side of the ball, I think if you're playing either of those guys at the center and the four position, that kind of clogs up those driving lanes that Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling need, and um, it takes away one of the sp- the floor spacers. So I think this is becoming an early season issue for Syracuse. That is a little bit of a concern going into that Tennessee matchup. But uh, Christian, what's your what's your stance on kind of that that center role and kind of who should maybe play that that four spot? It's tough because it's got to be Benny. Um, right and and the logic says that in your mind that Malik Brown should be the other guy that gets minutes at the power forward. The unfortunate matter is that, like you said, James, we haven't seen Munir Hima, and as much as we don't want to disrespect players, Peter Carey hasn't shown enough to prove that he'll give Syracuse the consistent and competitive minutes that it needs at the five in order to hang with the rest of the bigs in the power five conference. I would love for him. I would love for him to show that and show some of that burst um, that I think uh, is latent in there. Unfortunately, it just hasn't shown itself yet. And so what we see right now is that in order, we know that McLeod isn't going to play Jesse Edwards level of minutes. So, Syracuse needs to relieve him somehow. And right now, the only reliable option for that is Malik Brown. And the problem with that is if you put Malik Brown in there at the five, there's no other good option to back up Benny Williams at the four, just then based on how the lineup is constructed right now. Um, This would also get a lot easier if Muhima was available to play or just plays in general, because we're not sure if he even is available to play or not. Um, and if this also just goes back to the thing that we talked about when we first started, uh, when we first talked on this podcast, it's lineup balance, lineup balance, again, 
is now getting really, really, really tricky. And because of that, it's really, really hard to see. Uh, like you, like you said, you would ex. Hopefully, red doesn't go into like the pattern of okay, these are my first subs all the time, and instead yeah. it's going to you know adjust on the fly with his subs based on what the game dictates. Right. But right now, it's really, really hard because he needs specific things out there in order to right. push the game forward um, in ways that Syracuse needs in order to evolve. If Syracuse needs more shooting, he needs Bell and Taylor out there. If Syracuse needs more physicality, you have to give up the shooting and put and put Starling and Mintz out there. Yeah. This is where I think losing Jesse Edwards hurts because he could do so much, not only offensively, but on the defensive end. He's a really reliable player. He's not here, so Syracuse has to play kind of the next guy up, and, and Red has decided that the first center off the bench is just going to be Malik Brown. I think that's where Benny Williams really has to be available and really has to be ready. Um, we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit. Um, obviously, his his first game back, 0 for 4 from the floor, one rebound, one assist, just kind of looked a little bit listless out there, a little bit out of place, perhaps somewhat expected in his first game back. It's, it's really tough to throw somebody out there in that kind of game after they haven't played in a few weeks in game action. Now, Williams, uh, you know, he was not made available to the media after the game by the time that, you know, red got through his press conference and media made its way to the locker room. He, he wasn't there, uh, whether that was his own decision or somebody, you know, I could imagine inside Syracuse also said, Hey, you know, focus should be on the game to come back. Why don't you get out of here? I, I don't know that that's a possibility. You know, I, I lean towards the former, maybe Benny just decided that, you know, I don't want to deal with this today. That's okay. Um, I, I think it is a little bit concerning, especially for a third-year player. I, I think you'd want Benny Williams to stand in there and take some questions and show a little bit of leadership and accountability. Christian, does that concern you at all that he wasn't there? That you know, all and generally at Syracuse, how it works is if you're if you play in the game, you're supposed to be available to ask questions to, to ask questions at the end of the game. He wasn't there. Does his absence from a leadership or just a player standpoint does that does that concern you at all? Definitely, because what we've seen uh, precedent-wise from the Bayheim era, which is one of the better things from the Bayheim era, was that even if a player had a bad game, Bayheim made sure that player was there in the locker room to stick around and answer questions. Yeah. And right. I remember him. I remember one game where he distinctly, like, was calling players back to the locker room to take questions from the media after yeah. a loss. Um, so, I. I know that's a standard at least that Bayheim had, and I would like to see that carry over um, at least to this era. And um, and yes, I know we're talking as biased media members, the both of us. Um, <laughs> but um, it's I th I think just even the public just want to see players and teams in general just step up and take accountability. Yeah. Um, there's so much call for transparency nowadays that like it, it's not hurting anyone if you're not showing trans, at least a little bit of transparency. Um, you can like, even if you go up there and say, and just say, I just give a short, like, I, I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to sure. talk about like the suspension. I'm going to talk about the game. Sure. Like, that's fine. But at least say something to say, at least show up. Don't, give us questions don't let us have this conversation of why didn't you show up 
exactly. show up. It's it's a lot easier to show up and say, I'm not going to talk about it rather yep. than us, us probing and adding fuel to the speculation of why didn't you, sh- why didn't you show up? Exactly. And I think that's what it's about is just kind of standing in and taking those questions. He, he's a third year player. You'd expect him to be in kind of a leadership position, somewhat of a concern. So that's, that's something to look, look at going forward. But I, I think at the end of the day, this team needs Benny Williams to be his best self for not only the rebounding, but as kind of a floor spacer at, at the four on the other end as well. I, I think in order for this team to reach its potential, Benny Williams has to be at his best. He has to be there. He's got to show up and, okay, maybe he's not going to score, you know, 15, 16 points every night and have, you know, six or seven rebounds, but they they need him. This team needs Benny Williams to be there in some form and be available night in, night out and to go out and compete and play hard. Um, I don't want to just harp on the negative. Now, it, it was it was a, an impressive comeback for Syracuse. It's believed to be the largest comeback in Syracuse basketball history. Um, certainly the largest comeback since that Notre Dame game. Uh, Syracuse was down 20 in 2021, the Buddy Bayheim year, when Syracuse eventually went to the Sweet 16. Largest comeback since that game. And Chris Bell had a career-high 25 points. Let's let's start there. Um, Chris Bell actually, he taught me something at, in the post-game locker room. I, I asked him if he was surprised at all that uh, he, he was as open as he was on some occasions. It seemed like Colgate was kind of sagging off him. He responded and he said, no, that's kind of the way that Colgate plays. They kind of want to play with your mind a little bit. They want to you know, back off you and allow you to shoot threes. And I, I found that response interesting. But obviously, yeah, career high for him, six threes, uh, six of 14 from beyond the arc, 25 points. He really fueled that comeback in, in some instances. Um, and he didn't just do it with the shooting either. Like th- they did chase him off the line on a couple of occasions. Uh, he had that baseline drive in the first half for a finish at the rim. And the second half, he had that kind of floater in the lane. Um, Christian, what, what did you make of, of Chris Bell's performance and how key was he in, in the comeback? Well, obviously, if he don't score 25 points, Syracuse isn't making that comeback. But, <laughs> right. um, but like, to me, in my mind, it's great that that happened. But the scoring in that comeback didn't come from Chris Bell. It was like a three at the beginning and then the three to tie it. That's really the scoring that came from Bell, at least in the comeback, like during like the comeback stretch. Um, what we saw from Bell also, in terms of like Colgate allowing him to shoot threes, is that he, he was he was basically twirling the ball a lot around and like trying to create space that way instead of uh, dribble dribbling around to like you know create separation, um, which has been his mo, and that's probably the way main way he's going to try and create space on the line because he's not, he's not going to be like someone like Taylor who has shown more willingness to put the ball on the floor to try and create separation. Uh, you, you mentioned a couple of times where, you know, he started driving towards the hoop, but that's, but those are going to be few and far in between, I think from bell. Um, that, that just kind of creates the issue that he's more of a catch and shoot shooter, which yeah. is, which is fine, which is fine, but it's, um, but he needs to be set up in very specific situations to succeed. And because, Definitely. and like you said, because of Colgate's specific style that he, that he realized, he realized that he could wait and realize that, okay, Colgate's going to give me the space. Then I'll take the shot because there were quite a few of his threes were catch ball, wait for a little bit, realize the defender sagging and then shoot. It wasn't a media pop shoot release and then yeah. run. So that's kind of his game is yeah. like, 
assess where the defense is if they're sagging, you know, then shoot, which it doesn't come off like a, a James Sutherland style, like catch and shoot, like, like he no. kind of played. But I think teams are going to start to guard him a little bit differently. And, and to Definitely. his credit, you know, he, he said in the post game, like, we have guys that can drive. We have Judah Mitz. We have J.J. Starling. Those guys want to drive and finish at the rim. My job's to shoot. I think that's what Syracuse needs, especially when you look at kind of the lack of shooting at other positions. It's really him and Justin Taylor as the two shooters, and they need him to do that. But there are going to be times, like I think in this Tennessee matchup, where they're going to chase him off the line, and he's going to have to do that more. He's going to have to drive by and then make a read and make a play. But what we also saw is that the main catch-and-shoot cuff opportunities, a lot of those were coming from Kyle Cuff. Which like yeah. I think Cuff is going to eventually like get into that, but Cuff yeah. is three games back, three like competitive games back into playing full time basketball. So he still needs more time to, uh, you know, get his shot underneath him. I mean, if you, um, for the for the listeners out there, if you haven't read Mike Waters' uh, Syracuse.com article about Cuff's great recovery. Piece. Um, yeah, first of all, it's a great piece, but it gives you an insight onto the struggle that he had to recover from a horrific, horrific knee injury, which didn't require surgery, but required a long and arduous rehab process. So really, Cuff is only getting back up to full speed right now. He had to retool his jump shot by sitting in a chair while rehabbing, which is horrendous to think about in many levels, the effort that needs to go through, uh, a person needs to go through just to retool his shot especially a college player who expects to have at least the use of both of his legs in order to do that um so he is i think cuff will get there especially with the drive and determination that he has shown but he's not quite there yet so syracuse what we syracuse does need the quick pop and shoot more i i think if like like bell said you know and like you said Bell and Taylor are Syracuse's shooters. So I think right now what Syracuse needs a bit more is the decisiveness that Minson starting shows when they did drive, but in kind of the reverse from Bell and Taylor, the decisiveness to catch ball, shoot ball. Like yeah. try, like even if there's a guy... I don't think Taylor face, struggles with that. I think no, Justin's that, a catch and shoot player. Yeah, yeah. The Justin, the, Justin Taylor definitely doesn't struggle with that. That's why he also gets the Buddy Beheim comparisons because yeah. <laughs> Beheim definitely didn't struggle with that. I think I think Syracuse does need to pop it a bit more. Yeah, uh, pop it a bit more. The only problem with that is if uh, that also requires the mentality to if Syracuse is going to pop it, you got to have a couple of guys crash the glass because most of those more times than not, those are where your best offensive rebounding opportunities come from, and we all saw that. Syracuse isn't quite adept in that area. Yeah, and, and the ball has stuck along those lines. The ball has stuck. That that, that brings me to a point though. But before I do, um, I want to tell a little bit of backstory on that Kyle Cuff piece from Mike Waters. And, and Mike's a pro, but Mike was interviewing Kyle in the locker room after the the first game um, when Owen Autry got his first win over New Hampshire, and he was kind of doing like a one on one. And I I came up. I thought it was just like. You know, regular. <laughs> it was kind of like a situation where, like, you know, media's around, but Mike was with him one on one. And, you know, I kind of came in and I wasn't trying to steal his thunder or anything. I just had a few questions for Kyle. And, you know, like Mike explained the situation in a in a non like gatekeeping kind of way. <laughs> and, you know, he he allowed me to like ask a couple of questions and, and get out. And Mike, I think he eventually decided, you know, to, you know, make the request to have a few minutes with Kyle one on one. 
Um, but, but I approached Mike after and I was like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I wasn't, you know, and he, he completely understood it and he walked through it and he was like, no, you know, and, um, Mike's a great guy and he's a pro. And I think he really handled that situation well, where like he was trying to get the one-on-one, but also did it in a way where like he wasn't hurting my feelings. So, um, in an open locker room, that's a, that's, it's really, really hard to do to get a player. It is. It is. Especially in a post game, you know, environment when people are just yeah. trying to get, you know, two or three quotes and, and get out. But and get out. Um, yeah. I just I thought he handled that so well. So I just wanted to share that. And the, the piece is great, too. So you should check that out. Um, and you, Christian, along those lines, what you were saying earlier about, you know, guys needing to just catch and shoot, make a quick play. It seems like this team's really relying on Judah Mintz. Now, I, I get the criticism about Judah Mintz, how, you know, maybe he's being a little selfish. He's taking too many shots. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree, but I think we haven't talked enough about how this team really needs him to score right now. It seems like guys are a little, there's a lot of standing around, you know, there's a little bit less running the offense and kind of holding the ball. Like you're talking about the ball kind of gets stuck and we've seen the offense revert to what we've seen toward the end of the Bayheim era, where it's guys going one-on-one. I think they want to get away from that. They want to run their offense. But Judah Mintz really is their best option right now to kind of when a play breaks down to go one-on-one. I think J.J. Starling can do that as well, but I think J.J. still, as good as he's played in some games, I think he's still kind of getting up to speed, trying to feel comfortable. Judah Mintz had 23 points. He's really good at driving. He's really good at getting to the rim, drawing fouls, that kind of stuff. Um, what what did you see from him in that game? And, and Christian, do you think he needs to pass the ball a little bit more? I'm going to kind of answer this in a uh, weird way. And it's going to be more about the team instead of Mints. And in order to do that, I'm going to talk about football. I know we're, I know we're, I know we're on basketball on the basketball podcast, but I'm going to throw a little bit of a football in there because you're not a Syracuse fan. If you don't also watch this football team. And if you saw what happened in Yankee stadium against Pitt, you're probably wondering what the hell did we just watch? Um, and for the, for those who don't know, Syracuse, uh, B pit at Yankee Stadium 28-13 over the past weekend. Syracuse ran for 390 yards and three uh, 398 yards and had just a tick over 400 yards of offense. And what happened was Syracuse changed its offensive scheme to basically a run-based scheme to be a lot more physical. And what I gathered from that was it allowed a lot of the Syracuse players to basically turn their brains off and just focus on a singular thing that they had to do. And to remove that complexity and simplify the offense a bit was what allowed at least Syracuse to get a win in that game. And I think that's something that I think uh, the Syracuse basketball team could take. And it goes back to a style that I've been harping on for Syracuse to implement for, I don't know, the past year and a half now. And you've heard me talk about it, James, uh, every now and again. Yeah. I think Syracuse would do really well to implement Phoenix Sun style mid 2000s, seven seconds or less. And that's a, a um, I think that's how they want to play though. Yeah. And and I like think that's where, yeah. And I think that's an, I think that's a system where a, a guy with Judah's skill set will excel because a lot of this system, it will be simplified to, Hey, score the damn basketball and yeah. score it quickly. And like, don't care about what's in front of you. Would just find a way to effing score, and that's and and like you said, Judah's going to be the forefront of this team offensively, and so if he can just you know turn his brain off and say, "Hey, 
let's take the option that's in front of you. If if you don't like the scoring option, pass pass it off and let something else develop and let yeah. that other guy score. And I think and because Syracuse, we know Syracuse is better in the high tempo, but when they're when they're settling on the half court setting and have to think about what to do offensively to try and score, yeah. that's where we start seeing those breakdowns and start le- leading to those ineffective offensive sets. Well, well, that's where they have to rebound the ball because if you can't close out a defensive possession, you can't really get out and run. If if it's coming off a made bucket, it's much harder to run off that. But they have to rebound the ball. They have to give themselves the opportunity to fast break. I've seen J.J. Starling crash the glass a bunch. I mean, he's rebounded really well from that guard position. And as soon as he gets it, I mean, I think he's the first guy who wants to get it and go. Um, so they got it. That's where they have to start rebounding the ball. That's why I think Benny's so important. So they can kind of get that rebound, get out and transition and go. It's much harder to like score in the in the half court, as we've seen. Um, but e- even in the half court, I think there's a little bit more opportunity to speed the offense up. And maybe that'll come with just guys getting more comfortable. So we'll, we'll see as there's, the season goes along. What it, what it also seems like, um, at least defensively, it seems like there's a lot of cherry pickers on this team and not enough guys who are crashing the glass, um, which – and and like I think I think you can tell like what what do Chris Bell and Justin Taylor want to do? They're gonna on every single fast break. Those those two guys are rush are sprinting to the elbow for a quick pop a quick pop three. They want and a like, transition three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys want transition threes like it's you know like it's the winning lottery numbers on a <laughs> on a ticket. Um, and so. Unfortunately, like some someone's so one of those guys is going to have to help on the glass because they have the size to help on the glass. And at least if both of them are I think it's Taylor. I think it's Justin Taylor. If at at least if one of those guys if both of those guys are on the floor, one of them has to help crash the glass. Um and because because if it's just gonna be McLeod slash Brown and startling half the times he comes in to crash the glass, Syracuse isn't gonna get rebounds with any consistency. Yeah, uh, and so, like, the like it's it's distressing because like when you see, like when you watch that Colgate game, it felt like there were always double the amount of Colgate players in the paint to the Syracuse players were when Syracuse was looking for a defensive rebound, and that shouldn't happen. Like, I think, and that's on that's both sides, and 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 that was on both sides of the ball also. Like, it, it felt like there were double the amount if there were if there were two Colgate players in the paint around the rim there was only one white jersey if there were if there were two Syracuse guys in the paint there were actually four maroon jerseys around them yeah. and it's so, too much standing around and, and watching yeah. the ball go up and and guys I think you know I, I don't know if it's emphasized or not but just you know box out where where appropriate but I, I think going back to that point I just you know going back to Chris Bell He's got to be able to get a few rebounds a game. I know he's never really been asked to rebound. He's got to do that, but I, I just think Justin Taylor is much more capable. Just he's he's much bigger. He's much he's got a big frame. Um, he's got you know big broad shoulders. He's a big body in there. I just think he's more capable of rebounding the ball. Um, no, I, I I definitely agree with that. And but 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 if Bellsley, but if you go to the quote unquote start traditional starting lineup that we all thought we were going to start the season with, if it's mid Starling Bell. Benny and McLeod, then Bell has to help there as well. Yeah, because because Judah and JJ are going to cherry pick, and so I have at least three guys there. Don't have two. 
Yeah, and it, it, you can't you can't really ask Judah, especially if JJ is going to be able to rebound. But you can't ask Judah to offensive rebound as, as he's the point guard, so he's got to no. be the first guy back defensively. And defensively, you know, I, I just don't know how much he's going to be able to like stick his nose in there and, and get a defensive rebound. I mean, he should be able to get a few a game, but um, I just don't know that you want him in there. Um, kind of going back to him and, you know, his transition game and being able to draw fouls. Um, Judah Mintz has been a quote machine in the early season, uh, going back to ACC media day saying, you know, I'm, I'm angry, you know, people pick Syracuse lower than where, where we want to be. Um, just going inside the locker room really quick after that Colgate game, he was, he was asked if he heard the boos, um, which Syracuse fans, the boo birds were out a little bit early. We, we can talk about that, but Judah was asked about it and he just said, yeah, yeah, I heard the boos. Um, and somebody asked him, you know, kind of what he felt about that. And he was like, I mean, we were down 20 to Colgate. So I feel like if I was in the stands, I'd be too. Um, he's been good with that. And he also, he was asked about Chris Bell's game and he said, and I quote, I told Chris, I love him to death. I want to hug him. I want to give him a big forehead kiss. So uh, Judah's been really, really good uh, in terms of sharing with the media and being a, being a quote machine this year. Uh, but let's, let's talk about that. So the, the boo birds were out early. And Christian, I saw a little bit of on Twitter, and Twitter's never really the best source for, uh, let's say, peaceful discourse, reasonable discourse. Um, Syracuse was down 20 to Colgate, and people were already saying, this was a bad hire, Autry's not the guy, this, that, and the third. To, to that, I say, like, take the year off. Like, we're not going to know if Adrian Autry was the right or the wrong hire until years from now. Anything else... Like, this is a process. Like, this takes time. Um, should Syracuse be down 20 to Col- – I don't know. I'm not sure. You you be the judge there. But don't if, – if we're coming to conclusions after game three that this was a bad hire, I just think that's really misplaced. I, I don't know if you caught any of that. But to, to see that and then the, kind of the, the boo birds come out, I understand, I understand where the boos are coming from. I, I think it was an effort thing. I think it was a – you know, hey, you got you guys aren't playing hard, and you're down twenty to Colgate, and this is the third year in a row. You know, I think that's kind of where where it was coming from. Um, but I don't know. I, I couldn't help but be just a little bit. You know, like I've been around the Syracuse fan base a long time, but I couldn't help being just a little bit surprised that the boos were coming out in Game Three, and people were already saying that Autry might not be the right guy. So I am surprised about that second point about about people saying Archie's not the right guy. I do think that's a very loud vocal minority, and it's a small yeah. minority. So I think, I, honest, honestly, I I think it's okay you brought it up, but I don't think we need to talk about it anymore because I think those people are very small, few in between, and we shouldn't give them the light of day. So let's push that point aside. <laughs> that's a fair point. The uh, boo birds, the boo birds. I think that's valid and justified because. That didn't look that didn't look like a team that wanted to, like you said, that didn't put in effort. There was, like you said, a lot of standing around, a lot of a lot of the Bayheim wait for something magic way to fucking happen while you stand around, because that was basically Bayheim's offense um for the past decade. And and like it's it's a lot of like off-ball movement is something we've complained about with Syracuse for a while, and it's something that hasn't really gotten solved, at least in a normal half-court setting. And 
when you see Syracuse go one and done so many times on offense, when you see Syracuse have a seven foot four guy in the paint and him getting out rebounded by Colgate, who is not his size, then it's completely justified. Yeah. And I I don't have any problem with hearing booze because it was justified. I I I will say it was justified. And yes, Syracuse needed to do something to turn those boos around to cheers. And luckily for their sake, they did. But I'm not going to sit here and say, like, you guys shouldn't have been booing in game three. You should have been booing in game three. Okay. Like, like, let's be honest. You're, we're not, you're, you're not Lemoyne taking on Georgetown in their first game of the season. Like, you're not a newly promoted Division I program. You're Syracuse basketball, a program that has ruled Northeast basketball for God knows how long. And, this and there was expectation. There are expectations around the program to at least show some f- form of effort and and some sort of efficiency and some sort of efficiency around the program, especially with the pedigree of players that have been brought into this program, whether it be through the recruiting class or through the transfer portal. And it didn't look like a team of four and five star recruits out there. That's a fair point. Yeah, I'm, I'm never a huge fan of like just booing, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. Um, but but I do I do understand that there's an expectation, and Syracuse should be held to that expectation. Hey, two two of those two of those kids seriously were considering going to the NBA draft and turning pro. So like, I and more and and we're getting closer and closer to considering these kids as professional athletes and employees of a school. So, like, maybe if they're in high school, like, yeah. let's we can pump the bricks. But right, <laughs> but right now, but right now, like, it, college sports is getting closer and closer to becoming actual pro sports. That, like, the, yeah. this this is where we are. You know, and it's a fair it's a fair point. I, I think, you know, part of it too is like. You know, I, I think of the times that the Boo Birds have come out and it's like, you know, I think back to like 2007 when it was, you know, Terrence Roberts and Mookie Jones's senior night. And, you know, Syracuse got booed that that year. And, you know, those those two guys somehow uh, edged out a win against Georgetown that year in the Dome. And um, I just think like the, the Boo Birds are like few and far between. But I, to, to me, it's like it's almost like too early. Like we're, we're the third game in. And, and to your point, like it seemed like, yeah, it was a little bit of like a carryover. Like we're, we're tired of, you know, the, the lack of maybe effort or like the stand and the stand and pound offense where one guy goes one-on-one we're, we're tired of the end of the Bayheim era. And we, we want change. Like, you know, we, we want to see something different. We want to see the fast base off. We want to see effort. So I think that's where it's coming from to, to me, I guess, I don't know. I guess it's just a little bit too soon. Like we're in game three, like let this thing play out, like give it some air, Enjoy the ups and downs. You're you're everyone's entitled to their opinion and everyone's entitled to boo. I don't know. It's just like it just seemed a little bit too early. Maybe. No, I I, I I think you're allowed to boo. I don't think you're allowed to voice I don't think you're allowed to go on Twitter and say this team needs blowing, <laughs> this team and administration needs blowing up. Yeah. You're allowed to blue you're you're allowed to boo and say, Hey, change like pick sure. pick it up, guys. Yeah. But you're not allowed to say boo. 
I'm with you. Blow up the entire program. Yeah, which, that's I, that's a bridge too far. That's a yeah. couple bridges too far. No, but I I I think the booze were more. Hey, pick it up. What are we watching? Like this is not the type. This is not the basketball we paid to to see. That's fair. That's fair. Um, quick note here: uh, Syracuse wore the script jerseys for a third game in a row. Everybody seems to love the script jerseys. Uh, I asked you to mince about it post game. He said he also loves the script jerseys. I asked him if he preferred them. Uh, he said he wasn't allowed to say before turning <laughs> and saying, yes, I do prefer them. So uh, quick note there. I talked to Dan Schwarls, the, the longtime equipment uh, manager at Syracuse. Um, so I have something on that coming up. I've got a few questions about the script jerseys that I hope we can have answered. But Syracuse, uh, yeah, they've, they've worn them in every game. Um Keep your eyes peeled. Maybe those they'll make an appearance in Maui as well. But uh, certainly, Autry seems to have listened to the fan base, um, and people are interested in in the script. So um, we'll we'll turn the page to Maui. Um, I, I don't think we need to go over the field. Everybody listening is probably well aware that it's it's a loaded event. Um, Syracuse plays Tennessee two thirty p.m. on Monday afternoon, and this is going to be a tough matchup. Uh, you know. We can get into predictions if we want. I don't know how Syracuse is going to get on the right side of this one. Tennessee's a really physical team. They play defense. They've addressed some of the offensive deficiencies in the offseason. Rick Barnes has a couple more guys in there. Um, Shooter and, and another guy, um, Dalton Connect, who seemingly like become a household college basketball name in just, a few, in just three games somehow. Um, as we think about this matchup, and maybe Maui more broadly, Christian, what, what are you kind of thinking about as, as Syracuse goes into this this first game? Well, we talked a lot about Justin Taylor and Chris Bell, and I think Syracuse has to rely on them because I think the only way that Syracuse can even eke out a Maui upset over one of the big programs is if they shoot their way out of it. I don't think Syracuse is going to stop anyone defensively, and even if they go to a press, it's only going to work for so long. So... They're going to need some help from those sweet Maui rims. they got to get the Maui bounce on some of those rims. Well, unfortunately, it's not even in Maui anymore. It's just Hawaii in general. So, like, But we, do they bring the, the, the same hoops from Maui to Honolulu? Unfortunately, they might be asking a lot. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, Hawaii has their own facilities. So yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So I it's – I as – as we saw, like towards the latter part of the ACC schedule, Judah had a bit of a tough time against some of the more physical competition of the ACC. You would hope that in a off season that he that he can handle a bit more of that, but he's he's not going to be able to take over a game by himself. He needs the he needs the surplus shooting of Bell and Taylor to really help. Uh, maybe maybe Cuff can get in there as well if he gets his jump shot a little bit more underneath him. But I think Syracuse, I, and I think this is going to be a trend for Syracuse the rest of the season. Syracuse is going to have to shoot its way towards victories, and I, the, it can't just rely on physical dribble drives from Minson Starling and a full court press to generate turnovers and tempo. It's going to be a tough matchup for a variety of reasons, but like you mentioned, the the physicality. Zakai, Zakai Ziegler's coming off an ACL injury. He's been off to a little bit of a slow start, but he is kind of a defensive-minded, you know, guard. He's five. He's five foot nine. Um, he's more of a pass-first point guard. I'd like to think that they're going to throw him on mints, maybe at least a start. That matchup is really intriguing to me. And then I think whoever 
you're going to have J.J. Starling or Chris Bell um, be, be guarded by Josiah Jordan-James. And then I think whoever he is not on is just going to have to do a little bit of the scoring. We know Tennessee's defensive-minded. We know they want to get stops. I think back to that Duke matchup in the round of 32 last year where they just out-physical the Blue Devils. Luckily for Syracuse, Plofchich is gone, so I don't think he's going to hip-check anybody out of bounds or do any of the things he did in that Duke game. Uh, but they have plenty of, of guys who get after it uh, defensively. Jonas Idu might be their, their best defensive player. He's six foot 11 I imagine he'd be matched up against Naheem McLeod or uh, Malik Brown. I don't know what to expect out of Benny Williams. We've already talked about some of the, the points already. I, I think they need some sort of production from him in this game. And then, oh, by the way, Tennessee's really good on offense now. Um, yeah, Dalton Connect has, has taken over by storm. He's a shooter who can get to the rim. He's kind of like a stretch four, but playing the three for them. Um, and, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Tennessee does have – J.P. Estrella, the, the one-time Syracuse recruit, Syracuse was his first scholarship, but he ultimately chose to go to Tennessee. I don't know that we'll see him too much in this game. But, Christian, what, what about all those guys or any of those guys concerns you as far as Syracuse matching up with them and, and trying to get stops defensively? Syracuse is going to have to decide when it goes to zone. I, I think this is gonna, there's going to be a there's going to be a time for zone in this game. And, main, and that's mainly more so on Syracuse than it is on just Tennessee. Mainly just because we've seen a lot of Syracuse, especially when they're trying to, you know, guard inside penetration. There, there, there's a lot of edging and sliding right now. I think that's been like one of the hallmarks of uh, um, Autry's man defense is that there's a lot of slides to help um, uh, inside penetration when it happens, and so that relieves kickout threes really open. Um, and so, in order to curtail some of that i think syracuse can go to zone and and help curtail some of that uh because you'll at least have someone on the wing to help close down instead of having the guard to chase down um and chase down a guy on the wing so it's it's tough because the syracuse man defense and just defense in general hasn't looked great especially in the half court setting Um, to begin this season and you have to really uh, Syracuse has to decide what it wants its players to do and if you are going to want your players to at least help more on inside penetration then I think you have to play a bit more zone it'll be interesting to see if Autry continues to go to the zone out of the out-of-bounds sets and if he just does straight up go to the zone Um, for the most part it's been just straight up man-to-man unless there's been a an outside factor, like in that first game, Judah Mintz had four fouls. Then he went to the zone. Um, and that Colgate game, Syracuse was down 20. Then they went to the press, you know, those sorts of things. I, I am interested to see if they'll go zone. The, the thing that worries me, and there's a couple of shooters on this team now, Santiago Vescovi's back. He's he's a shooter. He lights it up. He's off to a little bit of a slow start this year. Uh, he's only shooting 27% from three. Um, he's he's getting you know 25 minutes a game and he's only got six points. I think he was their leading scorer last year. Him and Zakai Ziegler were a focal point of this Tennessee team last year. They're both off to a little bit of a slow start. That's that's something that's interesting. But in terms of the shooting, Rick Barnes has addressed that with, with Jordan Ganey. He's the South Carolina upstate transfer. He's off to a torrid start. He's he's eight of eighteen from three. That's forty four percent. 
if Syracuse does go zone, he's kind of a zone buster guy. And if you, you pair him with Vescovy, that all of a sudden becomes problematic. So I think there's a lot of ways that this Tennessee team can just beat you. Um, matchups are certainly interesting. Like I, I wonder who they're going to put on Dalton connect. Like, are they going to put Chris Bell on him to start? If he's starting, is it going to be Justin Taylor? I don't know. Um, maybe they slide JJ Starling over on him. I, I don't know. It's it's going to be really fascinating to see how this team matches up with Tennessee um, on the on the offensive end. But I think the keys to this game are just going to be the, the three point line, as as it's kind of has been. Um, can you defend the three? Can you push those guys off the line? And can you hit just enough on the other end yourself to, to remain competitive? And they've got to rebound. We we've talked about the rebounding. Um, it's going to be a problem if if they can't rebound against this Tennessee team. There's just no way they have to match their physicality. They've got to do some of those things. So th- those are a few of the things that, that I'm eyeing. I, I don't know what. If, as you look at that game, Christian, I guess what what are your keys to the game? What are the most important aspects of the game for that first yeah, matchup? I, I like. I think you kind of mentioned it. It's just uh, get the shooters going uh, because I think I think if you, I think if you can get Bell and Taylor going, that will open up. That'll open. Th- that'll open up things for Mintz and Starling to, you know, assert their own brand of physicality on this game, which is, you know, just in its own right tough to defend. But if Tennessee can just pack it in and kind of do what Colgate was daring to do, Sir- daring Syracuse to do at the end of the first half, the start of the second half, because Colgate was essentially daring Syracuse to shoot, and Syracuse wasn't able to take advantage until. You know, they started pushing the tempo with the press. Um, and more often than not, Syracuse was missing those shots. And so if if Tennessee is allowed to just pack it in and really focus on stopping Mintz and Starling from scoring, then this becomes very, very difficult for Syracuse because you know you essentially know that Mintz and Starling are probably going to at least give you 12 points uh, um, just from drives. It's can you... It's can can Bell and Taylor attract enough attention to uh, and and again I'll also throw Cuff in there because Cuff is showing that he has an outside shot. Uh, can Kyle Cuff also when he, when he comes off the bench can he attract enough attention to force Tennessee to respect the outside threat? Yeah, and it, and it gets started Monday with with four games. More broadly, looking at the event beyond just the Tennessee matchup, uh, Christian, you know, if they win that game, they'll play on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. If they lose that game, they'll play at the same time Tuesday at 2.30. And either the winner of the loser of that Purdue-Gonzaga game. I guess there's a nightmare scenario for Syracuse where you lose that Tennessee game and then maybe likely you lose to Gonzaga. And somehow Shamana upsets like UCLA Marquette when you get UCLA Marquette in the last place game. On the other side, I, I do think like they they have a chance against Gonzaga. I don't know if Syracuse can beat Tennessee or Purdue. Like I think those teams are just too good at this point of the season. More broadly, what do you expect to see from Syracuse in this event? And and you know we know the events loaded, but what do you think of the event just more broadly? Um. I think, like at least from Syracuse, I'll, I think we'll, I'll, we'll be interested to see more of what what we saw from the Colgate game in terms of from Autry in terms of what are your adjustments going to be in game. Like we saw at least in game one, like you said, out of necessity, the adjustment was two three zone, 
in game and now in the Colgate game, it was okay. The adjustment is full court press. Do we see something offensively adjust now, or because we haven't seen many offensive adjustments come from Syracuse, mainly because point. the quote unquote adjustments on offense have come out of circumstance uh, due to you know a faster tempo. Is there something that Syracuse will do other than a press in order to facilitate facilitate the high tempo play that it succeeds in so well? Is there something else that Syracuse can do on offense other to avoid the you know hold hold ball in hand and wait for something magically to happen offense? Like I think that's something that I think we want to see. Um, I, hopefully, for my sake. Can we can we can we go can we go seven seconds or less? Because I think Syracuse has the I think Syracuse has the stamina at least to do that. Like, I got the and, depth. Yeah. So like, can we we know Autry at least can make defensive adjustments. We haven't seen him make an offensive just adjustment yet. Um, and I think it's very clear in these games that obviously the off at least the offenses are further and farther uh, alpha higher quality than New Hampshire, Canisius, and Colgate. So defensive adjustments alone aren't going to win you those games. What can you do offensively to adjust in order to win these games? It's it's a good point about the offense. Um, I think when they, they went to that press against the Colgate game, it's like so many of your offensive opportunities are just coming in transition off steel. So you yeah. don't have a chance to run your half court. I, I tried to watch that game and, and the New Hampshire game back just to see what Syracuse is running. And you kind of get lost in the, the flow of the game and you're looking at other things when you're doing media stuff. But I did see they are going to that double fist set, which Bayheim used to run a long time back where you kind of have the center and you have the opposite forwards at a double screen up top. And then the shooter kind of goes under and then the center screens for the forward and they're looking to get a three out of that. I did see them run that for Justin Taylor a couple of times. So I've been eyeing that and trying to see what else they're running. Um, you know, a lot of offenses in college basketball go to that horn set now where it's just point guard up top, you know, t- two players, free throw line extended, and then both other players in the, the opposite corners. Uh, Syracuse ran that a little bit towards the end of the Bayheim era. I, I don't know that I've, eyed that i'm not saying they haven't run it but i don't know that i've eyed that upon watching it back but i do agree with you christian it, it does seem like there there is more opportunity to uh make some adjustments especially offensively other than just to, to hold the ball and go one-on-one with your best player um that, I, I think be- the, yeah i think one of the other adjustments to make is well you know maybe maybe early on call for you know okay like for first seven seconds of the shot clock that's Let's pick and roll or something, or like let's set up something so that so that um Minson uh Star or Starling can drive to the hoop, and I think then the adjustment is going to be kind of what we've alluded to. What do the other guys on the court do once Minson Starling drive to the hoop? Because there's a lot of sitting, there's a lot of standing around of once Minson Starling drive to the hoop. There's a lot of standing around of okay, let's hope he scores. Can can someone? make some sort of off-ball movement to make themselves an option just in case the drive is no longer an attractive option. Um, because, hey, we saw it work from Colgate. So, like, can can someone, and 
and this is this is an area where Malik Brown is so good at because he's really good at positioning his body in the right way to make himself an available option on offense. Like, can someone make some sort of off-ball movement once Minson starting drive in order to make themselves an outlet if need be? That's the upside on the offense when you have Malik Brown at center because he's really good. Like, he knows himself. He knows his game. He doesn't get too far outside of what he does. But as far as a screening option goes, if you have him and Judah Mintz, like he's going to be able to do something on that role. Like if you get him the ball at you know ten to fifteen feet, he can take a dribble. I don't know that Naheem McLeod can necessarily do that. He's like a real threat out there to do that. Um, but when you have Malik Brown out there, then you kind of have to respect the role. And if you get one of those shooters on the roll and replace on on the wing, if his defender sags off and helps on Brown, then you got an open three. I think that's where they become really more dynamic on offense. Um, the same, the same could be true for for McLeod though on, on the upside where, you know, maybe you can you can exploit a mismatch there and have somebody down there that's a smaller defender throw him the ball in the post. You know, he's not as good as Jesse Edwards obviously, but we've seen Nahim McLeod kind of go to that that left hand a couple of times and he's been able to score. Um, on the other side, just as a quick note with with the Tennessee game, I did see a little bit of the I believe it was the Wofford game that they had won. Um, and Wofford had gone to two three zone. They do they do have a play. Rick Barnes has a play where, um, against the two three zone, the opposite forward will will come across baseline, screen the forward, and the center will come across and set a screen on the center. And they do have a loud play for connect. So that's that's something to watch too if they do go to the two three zone. Taking go ahead. We definitely know the backdoor lobs is something that so the Syracuse two three zone is not great at defending. North Carolina's run that same play. The, Rick yeah. Barnes has the same play that North Carolina and Roy Williams used to run um, that kind of backdoor lob, uh, weak side, excuse me, weak side lob. Um, Christian, taking a step back, what what we talked about the expectations kind of like on a granular level. What do you expect this team to do in Maui? Is it is it one win? Is it somehow get two wins? Obviously, some of that depends on matchups and who you play. But what do you expect? Can this team get multiple wins in this event? Do you just see them getting one win? Is it zero? Um, hope, pray, and hope that you get Shamanad. <laughs> do you I, want I, that? Does anybody want that though? Like, well, no. But if if Syracuse is just looking for a win, that's your only win here. I think. I, I think that's where like winning the Colgate game really takes some pressure off this event, where. It's okay to maybe lose those two games and beat a Chaminade as long as you beat Colgate. Not that anybody's like satisfied with the loss. That's not what I'm arguing for. But like, it is an opportunity to one increase your non-conference schedule. You see what some of the like these are some of the bet like top these are the top teams in the country. So you know what that looks like. You know what it takes to kind of beat and compete with those teams. And then oh by the way, like this is a young, relatively inexperienced team. You see what it looks like now. You got the season to kind of get better and go into an ACC that's not as daunting. Here's as what I think teams. fans want to see: they do not want to see the Syracuse Illinois game from last year. Exactly. As long as you don't see that, I think you're okay. If if you're at least competitive with Purdue and uh, I mean Tennessee slash Purdue slash Gonzaga. If you're at least competitive with those teams and and are not already 10, 15 points down in the first half, like then I think you're okay. 
let, let me ask you this. If if let's assume Syracuse does lose those first two games. They lose to Tennessee and they get either Purdue or Gonzaga. And you know, presumably they'll be underdogs in both those games, right? That that makes sense. Do, do you want to see Shamanad in that third game, or do you maybe want to see like a Mick Cronin's UCLA team who's maybe a little bit down? What would you rather see? Is anyone going to be, I guess, satisfied with from, the from win over Shamanad? From a selfish, like, media point of view, I would like to see a big-name opponent that's not Shamanad because, yeah. like, hey, it just creates more interest toward a matchup. If I'm if I'm a, a rational thinking Syracuse fan, get a win. <laughs> this is the first you're in the first year of a head coach. Build some confidence in this program. Yeah, I, like I don't know that you want to be three and three going into that LSU game. No, LSU is not a world beater by any stretch, um, and they've had they their first two. Uh, was it Davidson? Something like that. Uh, completely forget. Let's look that up. We need I to buy some time. Uh, uh, Nichols. Okay. They, they, yeah, they beat Southern Louisiana, but they lost to. They lost to Dayton. That's who it was. Dayton and Dayton Nichols. Yeah, it was Dayton. Dayton. They were okay. They yeah, they were up fourteen, at least fourteen. I think the commentator said fifteen. They were up at least fourteen against Dayton, and Dayton went to the press. And they kind of unraveled down the stretch, and then Nate Santos hit a couple of threes late that allowed Dayton to get the win. So that that is that is right, you know. But I I just don't know that you want to go into that game kind of being three and three. Now you're facing a little bit of pressure to get a win, you know. But I I do I do hear you that like yeah just just get a win, you know. And it's it's not impossible that they could you know beat Tennessee well, or like I said I think they match up with Gonzaga. And, it's not impossible. And also, and also let's remember like kind of what we talked about in our first episode. This isn't the same Bayheim non-conference schedule where he invited every single D1 school in New York to come to Syracuse to lose. There's not that many non-conference, quote-unquote, free wins on this schedule. And that's also just mainly because there are not that there are, are not as many non-conference games in this schedule. Because, honestly, if this was the Bayheim era, there would have been a game yesterday or today before this before Maui. I almost guarantee you that. So like it's um there aren't that many opportunities to just even get a win on a resume. Yeah. So pick up the win. If you have to <laughs> if you have to play Shamanad to get the win, then play Shamanad to get the win. It's a fair point, especially on a neutral court. You know, we know Syracuse has that neutral game with Oregon and Sioux Falls in late December. You know, they have the Georgetown game, so there's some opportunities to get W's away from home. Um, but as we've seen, you know, as time has gone on with the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, they really value that that non-conference slate, um, especially what you've done away from home. So that's that's definitely important. Yeah, get, get a win. I'm with you. You know, get a win in this event ho- however you can. Um, and it all starts Monday night. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, back-to-back-to-back days, three straight games, kind of ACC tournament style, conference tournament style. I wonder if the Syracuse depth plays a factor. I wonder if that helps them in an event like this where they have, you know, nine guys who are capable of playing maybe as deep as 10. Um, That's just something that I, you know, Benny Williams has made the trip. Presumably he gets some minutes. Um, How many, we'll see. Uh, But we know Adrian Autry is at least willing to go as deep as, 
you know, Quadri Copeland and Kyle Cuff as well. We'll see if we can get a third center in rotation. I don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe it'll be matchup dependent. Still waiting to see if we could see maybe a Peter Carey. Um, you know, I don't know that Will Patterson is, is necessarily ready as a freshman despite his upside. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Syracuse does um, have any advantages with its depth on a, in a tournament like this where there's a quick turnaround. Uh, Christian, we'll, we'll get out of here. Bef- before we do, is there anything you want to add or anything you want to close with before we wrap up? Uh, don't expect much from Syracuse. Wow. I, I, like, let's be real. Let's just not just be realistic. If you're expecting Syracuse to go in into Maui and beat Tennessee, Purdue, or Gonzaga, you're out of your mind. <laughs> just, just, just hope that it's competitive. I think that's realistic. I mean, this Tennessee team is really good. I think they're a class above Syracuse, and it's just going to be a really tough ask to ask them to to win this game. But I'm with you. I think just find a way to be competitive. See these teams early. See what it's going to look like. See what that competition is. And for Syracuse, you got to you got to play hard from the opening tip. You can't do what you did against Colgate. You got to play a full forty. You got to put it together. And that's just to compete. You know, that's not even to get a win. That's just you got to play forty minutes just to compete with some of these teams. But I think it'll be good. You know, you won that Colgate game. It takes maybe some of the pressure off needing to win in this event, and you get to see what some some of the top class teams in the nation look like, and maybe what you have to you know, kind of aspire to, to get better throughout the course of the year. So Christian, we'll, we'll get out of here. Thank you for joining me. Um, if you're, if you're listening in, yeah, it all starts Monday. Syracuse plays at two 30, um, depending on the result of that game, they'll play either Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday night. And then finally, regardless of what Syracuse does in either of those games, they'll play on Wednesday. Um, but for, for Christian de Guzman, I'm James Zuba. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you have any comments, any feedback you'd like to give us, you know, reach out to us. You can hit me on Twitter at James Zuba. If you have a question for the show, uh, let us know and we'll answer it on the next episode. So for Christian DeGuzman, I'm James Zuba. Take care.